0: Thanks for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare Ambulatory Surgery Center's podcast. In this episode of the podcast, we're highlighting a portion of our August orthopedic spine and ASC virtual event. I don't want to say too much before we roll into a great conversation with industry leaders, but our team did want to tease our upcoming 27th annual meeting, the business and operations of ASCs, which is taking place in late October, both in person and virtually. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, that 27th annual meeting will be a great opportunity to hear more of our engaging virtual event sessions. Learn more about the event and how you can join us by checking out the Conferences tab of our website, which is BeckersHospitalReview.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Welcome everyone to Becker's Orthopedic Spine and ASC Virtual Event. My name is Morgan Hafner, and I'm a managing editor at Becker's Hospital Review. I'll be your moderator for our panel today on ASC payer landscape, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm really excited to be joined um, for our fantastic conversation today with Dr. Anthony Romeo, who is the executive vice president of DuPage Medical Group. We also have Dr. Alok Sharon, who is the Director of Spine and Orthopedics at NJ Spine and Wellness. So thank you both so much for being here today to dive into this conversation. I love the title of this panel. And I want you to say, you know, when you think about the good, the bad, and the ugly of ASC payer landscapes, what comes to your mind? Um, if you could just talk a little bit about that, maybe Anthony, I'll have you start. And then um, Alok, if you want to weigh in, would love to hear your perspective.
1: You know, the the good of the Ambulatory Surgery Center is that it really asked us to focus directly on patient care for a specific set of diagnoses. The challenge in the hospital is that you have to be prepared and ready to take care of everything. With the Ambulatory Surgery Center, we have a process where we identify what are the indications and what are the proper patients. And then we really focus on delivering the highest level of care, not only in the A selection of the patient, but in terms of the way we actually deliver the care. And then when we're actually providing that care, since we have the desire to let them go home, we have to really fine tune everything. We have to make sure that their preoperative status is in the best place. We have to make sure that we have a perioperative plan with regards to an accelerated recovery from anesthesia. We have to make sure their nutrition is in good position. And when we do the surgery, we have to add things like uh, TXA to minimize blood loss. We have to make sure the surgeries are done efficiently in a shorter period of time. And so overall, it actually drives us to provide the very highest level of care with this ins- incentive that, well, we're gonna send this patient home. We need to make sure that everything goes perfectly. And in fact, what we've learned in the ASC then trickles back to the hospital level. We, we'd we like to deliver the same care, care there, but the ASC is under that pressure. So that's been the good, we really have Done a great job in providing the patients with a great experience. In terms of the bad, um, you know, I think the 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 real issue that we have right now is um, in terms of the the challenges that we have in developing a ecosystem of our surgical care between the hospital and the ASC. We need to have the hospital. We have challenging cases that we do there, uh, but having an ecosystem between the two, we're often in an environment where. Uh, physician ownership um, at the ASC provides one level of care in and in a sort of a different process. The hospital, uh, if you can't get co-management agreements may do a different one. And so that's not ideal. We'd really like to standardize our care across the entire surgical ecosystem. And in terms of the ugly, you know, I think the real issue and that we're seeing what the government is doing with that is that everybody's so excited about moving all these cases out of the hospital into the ASC and everyone knew that the cost would be less, but because they knew the cost would, all of a sudden our payers have dramatically reduced our reimbursement in the ASCs. And to the point where a Medicare joint replacement may not even be uh, cost neutral. You may actually lose money on that procedure if you don't do everything perfectly efficiently, whereas the hospital still has an opportunity to generate a reasonable margin to, to continue their business. So I think the ugly is that we don't have uh, the proper alignment yet between our payers and the ASC, and that, that needs to continue to improve.
0: Excellent. Thank you much. thank you so much, Anthony, um, and Alok would love to hear um, good, bad, and ugly. Are they similar to what Anthony said? Are they a little bit different from your perspective? Um, what do you think?
2: I agree. I, no, thank you. And I agree with what Anthony is saying. I think there's no doubt in my mind that ASCs are the future of medicine but not quite in the shape that we're seeing it right now. Right now, the focus of the ASC is to take care of the patient and perhaps discharge them home the same day. But I think that what we're gonna see is a morphing of ASCs into more 23 or perhaps even 40 hour stays. But the reason why I believe the ASC is the future is this. Um, Regina Herzinger had written about this notion of focus factories. I'm a big believer in specialization. Um, the orthopedic hospitals tend to be better than general hospitals. What we're seeing now is that um, there's a disaggregation where cases that were being done in orthopedic hospitals are being done in hyper-focused ASCs. So we're seeing ASCs that are devoted just to joint replacement and perhaps just to sports medicine. You're seeing in cardiology um, a trend towards just having cardiac ASCs, and I believe in, uh, in for kidney disease also. And so what we're going to see now is these focused factory ASCs where we'll have ASCs that are hyper-focused on doing joints, hyper-focused on doing spine and pain. And there'll be one or two room ASCs, they won't be big, but they're gonna be more efficient because it's specialized and the experience is gonna be better. It may require more than 23 hour stay sometimes or 48 hour stay, and there's some creative uh, companies that are doing that in a reasonable way. But I believe now that what you're gonna see is a lot of elective surgery will come out of the hospital and move into these hyper-focused ASCs. That's gonna be the future. I think that the law has to catch up with that a little bit. The bad, unfortunately, is like everything else, the pendulum never swings in the middle, it swings at the extreme. And so there's always gonna be an issue of safety. I'd like, as Anthony was saying, going to an outpatient ASC is not just simply a change of site and service. At NJ and Wellness, at my practice, our motto is get our patients better faster. And so when I'm bringing a patient to an outpatient procedure, it's not just deciding that we're going to do the case in the ASC versus the hospital, but in fact, it's getting them to do prehab before, making sure that nutrition is optimized and looking at all those other factors so that when they hit the ASC, there's no question that they'll be able to go home the same day. So for me, the safety issue is not just simply just doing the case in the ASC successfully, but really trying to optimize them for an outpatient result. I think the ugly part of ASCs is what's going on with um, the government right now, in that there was a big shift from moving cases off of the inpatient list to the outpatient list, and now going back to the inpatient list. You know, it, when the government does this, it makes you schizophrenic, because it's really hard for you to plan. And then, then reading the regulation makes you confused as well. I think at some point, what we have to do is just decide, these are the cases that can be done safely in the outpatient. Let's, let's work on an iterative process to make that better and better and better, and not to say in two years, nope, you can no longer do ACDFs in the ASC. So I think the ugly part is that we haven't come to a reasonable business model in terms of regulation, government regulation, on what should be considered an outpatient case versus an inpatient case.
0: Yes, you and Anthony are in agreement about that, the ugly part being um, those those government regulations, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. I know you both briefly shared your opinions about that, but really, you know, how how are you shifting your strategies and how are you approaching these? Um, even though I know it can change seemingly every year, like you said, Alok. Um, so just a little bit more about that would be fantastic. And maybe Anthony, if you wanna start and then Alok, you can weigh in, great.
1: Well, as Alok said, um, it's challenging when these, factors uh, from the government are changing or at least uh, are being alluded to significant changes from back and forth. And these are dramatic. These are not just a few cases, but hundreds of cases uh, were going to be taken off of the inpatient only list uh, to be available in the surgery center. So for instance, they currently have hip and knee replacement off of that list, uh, but shoulder replacements are not off of that list. And we can't do a Medicare shoulder replacement in an ASC and be reimbursed for it. So it makes very good sense to go ahead and do that. Uh, but now all of a sudden there's a backtracking and saying there's there's been some issues here, there's reimbursement issues, there's patient care issues, and maybe we need to take a look at this thing again. So let's not take them all off the list. It's very hard to plan. Uh, you, you you have to be able to understand what your caseload is going to be, what your ability to grow the practice is going to be, what the eligibility is gonna be within your marketplace. And when these kind of shifts take place, uh, it gets very hard to have future planning. And that's why I would go back again to this concept of a surgical ecosystem between the hospital and the ASC. I think that we we have to continue to work on that partnership and get better in that environment so that we can manage these types of variabilities a, a little bit better. I know there's a, there's also local politics in making that happen. But ultimately, um, it really should be patient-based. It shouldn't be politically based or government-based, it should be patient-based. If a patient is a safe enough to do it in an ASC, uh, that's where they should go, and the reimbursement should be appropriate for caring for that patient, it should be penalized because you put them in the ASC. And if it's, a, if it's a relatively sick patient and the insurance companies are trying to steer, which they are, trying to steer us to the ASC, and essentially to the point they say, if you're not gonna do that case in the ASC, you're gonna be reduce your reimbursement by 15%, um, well, that's not appropriate either. I think the physicians... Uh, should ultimately have the decision on the side of service, and that should be in the best interest of the safety and the outcomes of the care of that patient, and the reimbursement should be adequate to make sure that that's not the deciding factor on where the care is provided.
0: Yeah, thank you, Anthony. You bring up a really good point about that surgical ecosystem and how that could be one way to get ahead of some of these challenges that come about when you don't know what's going to be coming down the, the pipeline. Um, Alok, what do you is that a strategy that you think would work um, for your organization, or are there other outlets that you're looking at?
2: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it brings up a great point. Um, I do spine surgeries, as you know, and um, I'm sure you've heard that for the past five years I've been trying to champion this notion of using regional anesthesia in spine surgery, a program which we call um, awake spine surgery. And to be honest with you, I've I've really had the good fortune of talking to my colleagues who do hip and knee replacements and have been using regional anesthesia and really trying to bring some of those learnings over to spine surgery. So as I'm sure you know now, for a lumbar fusion, um, the majority of our patients, we do it under spinal anesthesia, we use a regional block, and those patients are able to go home the same day. That, That shift to regional anesthesia is not just integrating in these new blocks, but really understanding what do you need to do to optimize the patient beforehand, minimize the collateral damage from general anesthesia, and then post-op, how do you manage them as well? And so we've made some great strides. I think we've done over 150 awake spinal fusions now at this point. Um, we're at the point where we're publishing our data and really proud that many other people across the country are doing it and validating these results. So I believe that in spine surgery, at least, the trend towards uh, using a regional anesthesia for lumbar surgery is gonna really make the big, um, help make the transition over to the outpatient arena.
0: Excellent. Thank you. And, you know, before we move on, uh, I want to talk about commercial pairs next, but is there anything else other of you wanted to add about um, CMS and their regulations around the inpatient only list?
2: Yeah, I think the only thing I'd say is that, you know, like with every new administration, there's always a change in thinking. I I think it would be really interesting to see how this new administration embraces the community. Because this, this flip-flop between the inpatient and outpatient list, that's that's pretty significant. And I think the government has to sort of try to maintain consistency and really iterate as opposed to just flip-flopping.
1: I, I agree entirely with Luke. I, I think the thing that's frustrating is that we have been moving our third-party private payers into the surgery centers for quite some time. And we actually have tremendous amounts of data to show its effectiveness and safety. And it's as if the CMS people are not wanting that data. They wanna make decisions based on other factors um, that are not really based on patient related factors. And that's frustrating because as a physician, we try to stay focused on what's in the best interest of our patients. We've been using our, our, our commercial payers to do these cases in the inventory surgery. I remember when we opened up our surgery center in downtown Chicago, and it wasn't approved uh, to do joints by CMS, but we went directly to one of the major payers in our state. And we explained to them, this is the data that we're gonna collect. We will share this with you every three to six months. We've been doing these from the hospital. We'd like to do them here. And literally in one meeting, they said, let's go ahead and do a pilot. And they never looked back and everything went very well. And and this is almost 10 years ago. And so why is it taking CMS so long? We've been doing outpatient shoulder replacements for more than 10 years, and yet they still have it in the Medicare uh, database as inpatient only. And so now we have, there's games that people are playing where they admit the patient to the hospital uh, on the day of surgery, but then they discharge them home when they're up on the floor to meet the Medicare guidelines. Again, these are not the things that we want to put our patients through. Let's do what's best for our patients. Let's use the data that's already available to make some of these decisions. And let's not try to politicize things so much. Uh, Let's really focus on what truly is in the best interest of the patient.
0: Thank you so much, for both of you, for sharing your perspectives there. I really appreciate it. Um, And I wanna follow up on something Anthony talked about earlier about, you know, it's clear, and Alok too, it it might be your case as well, that payers are interested. They are, you know, paying for total joints, finding some cardio cases where it makes sense. Um, But Anthony, you had mentioned that because of CMS's decision, that their reimbursement rates are now going down. Um, Alok, is this something you're seeing as well, or, any other insights you can provide around, um, you know, these private payers and the relationships that your organization has with them?
2: To be honest with you, the the private payers, um, the biggest challenge we're facing with the private payers is the issue of authorization. And those are, and unfortunately that's that's taking up a lot of uh, bandwidth to deal with. And so it's um, just trying to keep up with their rules is, is tough. And that's a moving target because for example, with Aetna, we just found out that there was um, an, uh, an update uh, in terms of their authorization and so it's a moving target. So to be honest with you it's 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 a little bit frustrating because um, you just don't know who to talk to. But in New York, I, I practice in New Jersey, but in New York, um, I believe is a local blue, blue cross plan in New York just said that if you're going to do a case in an ASC, it won't require any authorization versus if you do it in a HOPD it will. So again, it's a moving target. We don't know. Hopefully, we don't know what's going to happen. So it's becoming more and more challenging because, um, you know, in in the tech world, it's very easy to be agile and change course. But in healthcare, it's really hard. it takes a while to plan for things to develop an outpatient pro- program. Talking about the optimization that Anthony is talking about, these are things you just can't just start and then change in a week or two. And so I believe that um, the payers have to sort of like Anthony's saying, be collaborative and understand that it's a process and you have to iterate upon it. The first result's not going to be the best result, but over time, as long as the goal and the values are there, you'll get to that point. But when they're constantly changing the rules and regulations, it's just trying to keep up as the challenge.
0: That pre-authorization challenge, is that something you're seeing as well, Anthony?
1: Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> We all are, I mean, we can see there's essentially an outcry by the entire medical community that this is just too much, Morgan. You just, you can't keep doing this. And it looks like this presidential uh, uh, administration is going to get after this uh, pretty aggressively because of how it does affect the patient care. And not to use uh, an n equal one, but yesterday I had a patient asleep on the table after her block. And my office received a call that, uh, I'm sorry, the code is wrong, and she's not approved for surgery. And so they called me immediately Says you, you have to stop. And I said, what do you mean she's asleep and on the table? This is the honest truth. And so I called the insurance company. They said, well, your code is wrong, so you have to have due to peer-to-peer. I said, well, I'm, I'll wait here until the doctor is ready to answer. And she said, well, sir, I'm not sure we can get that. And I said, well, my patient is asleep and we are going to wait until the doctor can answer. And 15 minutes later they did, and they did have the wrong code. We changed the code, and I immediately got an approval reference number, and we went ahead with the procedure. That's crazy. That's not in the best interest of patient care. That's taking it too far. And so there should be uh, a track record. With the technology that's available today, We know that ultimately a certain number of authorizations are going to be approved. Making us go through these extra steps is unnecessary in probably about 90% of the cases that we are used to applying the appropriate indications for. Uh, As Luke just said, Aetna makes me fill out a two-page document every time I wanna do a joint replacement to answer the questions that we answer as physicians to see if it's the appropriate patient to have surgery and they want to have all of that data before they will even authorize the case. And and that is a lot of extra work case after case after case. So it is a challenge for us and I would agree that this is a critical issue. I, I would say the one other thing, and and, and Luke I know as a spine surgeon and, and to be truthful, uh, spine surgery probably has a little bit more of a protected environment so far. I think that's obviously gonna come under some challenges, but when when we get our spine cases, we have less problems in terms of reimbursement. Um, and they have been more aggressive about authorization issues, so that's been true. But in our joint replacement world, that's actually not just the authorization, but also the reimbursement. It's amazing what uh, the insurance companies are initially presenting as what they're willing to pay for a joint replacement in an ambulatory surgery center. And in fact, if you're not a... Well, oiled machine, if you're not efficient, you could actually end up losing your business. In other words, you can't make a margin because of how low they've lowered some of the prices. And that's really true with Medicare. I, I mean, if you uh, look at the margins on Medicare, you cannot run an ASC based on a high volume of Medicare hip and knee replacements. You just, the, the margin is so tight. That's, that's not, again, in the best interest of the patients, that's not the health insurance plan that these patients signed up for uh, to make it so it's so difficult to actually get the care in the right place. So we really have to look carefully at some uh, reforms with regards to how we are being able to provide these uh, appropriate cases at the appropriate site for the appropriate price. And I, I think there's a lot of work to be done in that area. Just some excellent
0: points to end on. Thank you so much, Alok and Anthony, for your discussion today. It's been um, a pleasure. And I want to thank our audience as well for taking the time to join us for Becker's Orthopedics, Spine and ASC virtual events. We have lots of great events coming up, so please stay tuned on our website for future engagement opportunities. Thanks so much.